Our previous transmission mode was too primitive to be received. I am now programming our computer to transmit lingua code at their frequency and rate of speed. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Oh, on the Starship Enterprise, there's someone who's in Satan's guise. Whose devil ears and devil eyes. What happened? The occipital area of my head seems to have impacted with the arm of the chair. I found this in uh, Ganner room. Ganner mirror. What is it? Well, it's, um... That's green. Mr. Spock has orders to kill you, Captain. He will succeed. Apparently. Not a magician, Spock. Just an old country doctor. Of course, Doctor. The Garden of Eden was just outside Moscow. A very nice place. I'm Captain Kirch. I'm Captain Kirk! To boldly go where no man has gone before. Hello and welcome to a brand new edition of Third Degree Burn. I'm your temporary host, Kirk Greenfield, and I'm joined with two esteemed regular hosts. Introduce yourself, folks. Hello, Brian. Hey, how's it going? I'm Brian Hughes, and I'm a comic book fanatic. I admit it freely. And we're also joined by Tim. Hello, and I am a Star Trek fanatic. I'll openly admit that. Hey, I'm a Star Trek fanatic, too. Hey, I am, too. What a coincidence. Maybe that has something to do with the topic of today's show, which uh, I understand is a line of comic books that was uh, prepared and published uh, through John Byrne. What a coincidence. This happens to be a John Byrne podcast. Uh, Star Trek New Visions. I never got to see these Fumetti-style books, but I'm enjoying the one that we have on the table today. It's Star Trek New Visions number five. And uh, help me out with the title here. I think it's A Scent of a Ghost. Is that a right? A Scent of Ghosts. And it's a, an interesting romp uh, that includes the, um, the Captain Pike Enterprise crew and the modern day original series crew, Kirk, Bones, Scotty, Spock, as we would know them from the series as it was ongoing. Wouldn't you call the Pike crew the original, original series crew? Yeah, I I wanted to stay away from that, but uh, yes, I think you're right. But, you know, it's uh, actually Robert April was the first captain, so Pike would be the yeah, but we didn't. We didn't see. We, we never saw Robert April on the screen until Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. Well, no, we saw I mean, the we animated. See, yeah, the, the animated, animated series. Episode. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. That's but yeah, that's that's interesting. But I like the guy that's playing him in in Strange New Worlds. Uh, I've seen him on the Fresh Prince series and some other things. So he's, yeah, it's, uh, he's not he's not in it very much. No, but uh, he, at least you know he's there. Unfortunately, there's no British accent. Which, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I like that, but um, because because I I uh, listened on audio to all of the um, well to at least some of the Diane Carey, young Jim Kirk stories that she wrote, uh, Best Destiny and um, golly, what was the other one? There was um, 
there's a, a that she she did two books that um, covered uh, when Jim Kirk was younger and trying to figure out who he was or what he you know what he planned to do with his life, and um, one of them was framed just after the events of City on the Edge of Forever, and Kirk was like really despondent over the loss of Edith Keeler. And he basically is he's taking his time trying to figure out what he's going to do, if he's going to stay in Starfleet or whatnot. He came across letters from his father and it told the story of his father's um, mission aboard a an unlabeled starship captain by, by Robert April. His father was the first officer aboard the Enterprise before it was actually labeled. Oh. And they uh, the Romulans were actually trying to uh, sabotage it. And so they had guys, a guy on board the ship who was made to look human and uh, forced them <clears throat> uh, you know, to warp accidentally into Romulan space. And so it was a story of you know, his father and Robert April dealing with that. It's a very good story. Oh, uh, Jim, Jimmy Doohan does the reading of, the, of it. And, of course, he does uh, his typical British voice for Robert April. Um, and then the second one was uh, Best Destiny. And Best Destiny was uh, young Jim Kirk aboard the Enterprise uh, briefly and him and his father getting involved in a, a, a situation. I think it was a pirate situation. It's been long, about 30 years since I read the book. But it's a good, a really good book. And again, Jimmy Doohan does the, um, does the reading. The voice. Yeah, it's a, yeah. yeah, the voice. And it's, a, it's an abridged of the book. The book itself is a hardback and a really good one. I read it first before listening to the audio in both cases i read them before i listened to the audio but i like listening to the audio i'm surprised so, they haven't and maybe they have i haven't read a lot of the uh the expanded star trek universe that they have mm -hmm. not covered a, a book with a young kirk on the it's not the farragut it's the Stargate. yeah farragut was with the uh, cloud yeah from the cloud. session right if they have because they you know they have well, have you watched have. stranger worlds I have watched Stranger watch Worlds, Stranger? and if I had watched it, before, I watched it, I think Friday. If I had watched the last it, episode, yeah. If I watched it before, I'd recommended this. I mean, I recommend this because the new Stranger Worlds was their season finale was up, and that you know, if you're not familiar, that deals with Captain Pike. So I thought, well, let's do. We haven't done a Finetti, um, a new Visions in a while, and let's do one that has Pike in it. We could have, I think, easily have done. Based on the the final episode, and I want to spoiling for it for anybody, we could have done one of his Romulan books. Uh, not it's schisms, I think Romulan mm -hmm. schisms, where he kind of uh, tells a story from a different point of view. But this works just as well what we've got here. But we could have done that one as well because it ties in on the, a little well, closer to uh, that final episode. Yeah, well, we we summarized that. Completely in in our eighth episode, I believe. Yeah, um, we talked we talked about we, it, um, but I don't think we did every. Did we do the whole series? Well, we, we just Clown. kind of summarized where it went. Yeah, where yeah. where it went after you know because you know they had in the book the the balance of terror from the Romulan side. Exactly. Exactly. And you know we we talked about everything that happened, the whole storyline for young Gaius and and everything that happened in that. So it's just kind of. Told you where it all placed within the, the Star Trek universe. So, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, if you guys want to hear on, on that, go back and listen to our eighth episode, I believe it is, 
Uh, it's available out there on the Two True Freaks website, and as well, I believe it's available on uh, Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. Yep. And while you're there, stop and leave us a five-star review. We could really use it. Now, if you want to follow along with this story that we're going to be discussing, it's available in a couple of locations, even though it may be out of print. Uh, you can find it online on some of these free comic book uh, reader websites under Star Trek New Visions. That's how I found my copy. But, uh, Brian, I understand you, there are a couple other venues for it. Well, yeah, you can actually get uh, a, a digital copy, a Kindle copy on Amazon, and that way you can you know, make sure that the creators get paid the money they're due for producing such a thing. These books, the Fumetti, were a bit more expensive to, to produce uh, than your standard comic book. And, it's, and they were also in a larger format. They were more of a prestige type format. So they were selling it, what, eight bucks a copy? Eight or nine, um, yeah, because there's no yeah. ads. And I think they're about almost 50 pages. One thing and, I'll say about looking at it, skimming it, um, as I've been looking at it, I get a sense of um, of dedication and love on the part of Byrne. Maybe I'm reading into it, but I just have a sense that he's having fun doing this. And I can't put my finger on what tells me that, but uh, it's a it just seems to be a, a huge uh, task to to get these images and to manipulate them and select the right one and um, I just have the sense that he's really enjoying the project. Well, he, he now Byrne will will tell you, you know, himself that he has got uh, intense uh, OCD when it comes to Star Trek: The Original Series, and out of uh, out of all Trek, that's the one that he truly, truly favors. Um, it, 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 in that, he has pretty much a photographic memory of virtually every episode. As they're presented from when he watched them, you know, watched them all growing up. In that, he's also got uh, digital copies of every episode, and he can take any frame from any episode to utilize and kind of George Lucas it to create the stories that he's creating here. And that's what makes it so interesting because when when you see something that's usually photo referenced or uh, you know, pulled from images from a movie or TV series, you can typically say, okay, I remember this from this episode, I remember this from this episode. And because of the way he's manipulating this, you have to work really hard to try to figure out where the, the you know, moments and scenes come from. A lot of it, of course, is based on the uniform and hairstyle, but he's actually been kind of deft at changing that. You, you could tell. It's not, I mean, it's not absolutely seamless. You can tell right. that he is cutting, cutting and pasting. But for someone who's worked in Photoshop, I can tell you this is, I'm sure he's got it set up, that he's got all this stuff clipped out and he has all the elements he can scrap. But this takes a lot of time because he is yes. swapping heads and bodies. He is changing. Uh, a lot of it is he's building the sets themselves. He's putting bodies, mm -hmm. you know, the, the images from the TV show. But he's building yeah. ships or he's building corridors or... Uh, Anything that needs to be 3D, he will build himself if he can't take it from the actual show itself. So, And to give you an idea here, the uh, on Amazon, if you wanted to buy it, you can actually get a copy of the issue uh, probably pre-read for $14.99. Yeah, they're not and expensive. It's on Comixology. 
in in Kindle format. Uh, if you're a member of those, it's free. But if you just want to buy a CBR of it or Kindle version of it, it's three ninety nine. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's available in a lot of different formats, and it's like Kurt said, it's available out there for free if you want to do that. But if you want to make sure the creator gets their cut, you'd probably have to buy digital version. Uh, because if you buy the used one, no, no extra money changes hands. Yeah. And they put these on trades too. Where they collect, I think, four stories and put mm-hmm. them in trades. I think there were 20, 20 issues, twenty two. I know we did. Yes, the and then one. of course um, they put out a huge, uh, like an omnibus uh, sized one to have multiple issues. I don't think they were all sequential. I think they were a, a, a uh, collection of selected issues. Yeah. Isn't that right? Because Tim and I both got them and then got both Shatner and John Byrne to sign them when they were here in Dallas a couple yeah. years back. That's an oversized. Is that an oversized edition? I, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's it's larger than my other omnibus. That yeah. Answered, yeah. I haven't cracked it open. I haven't. Um, so my books are still in, in storage. But uh, Also, if, you, if you're – this kind of ties in because to Kirk's point, you can tell Byrne has a huge – just a huge love for TOS and that shows in his his drawn work and you know where he's done uh, and we've covered this on episode 57 Dr. McCoy Frontier Doctor that kind of ties in with this uh, the uh, four issue he did for crew which tells about the Enterprise's first and it deals with number one that ties in with this story we're about to cover um, does it I hadn't caught that yet yeah because she mentions it here. Uh, Romulan Schisms kind of ties in with it, I think. he's uh, again, Yeah. It, uh, it, so he never quite tells... Other than the Dr. McCoy, he doesn't usually deal with a main character. He's dealing with side characters or kind of backstories or little corners of the universe that we don't know about that he likes to explore. Um, one that keeps him, I think, from having to do a lot of uh, facial... Uh, Capturing, you know, the image of an actual actor. But these are done so, if you've if you've ever read any of the old Star Trek photo novels from the original series, where they would take actual clips from the show and put word balloons in. He does yeah, it. These are so much style. better. Yeah, he does. Yeah, but these style. these are so much better. Now he did a, a a full reproduction of the cage to kind of test out this process. When he first started working, I guess it'd be about 2013 is when when he was doing that, and um, that's what got him the I guess the gig to do this uh, with Chris Ryle and IDW going yeah yeah if you can do original stories and he started off I think he did the next one they they weren't you know put in New Visions books they were put in like an annual and then another another book which was a, a follow up to Where No Man Has Gone Before. And uh, you know Gary Mitchell storyline, yeah. but uh, then of course he he did the 22 issues of Stranger Worlds over about four, a little over four years. So he almost had like a five-year mission, and he was happy with the 24 books in total because he felt that would give him one entire TV season, you know, to to work oh, with. I never looked at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, I mean, the thing is, it's hard to find stuff about the individual books, even on his website, going through the various Star Trek forums. But uh, I was able to glean a few little bits of good information um, in that. Uh, anyway, that being said, uh, 
Yeah, before we jump into this, I did want to ask you guys what you thought of the if you did watch the finale of Strange New Worlds and what you thought. Because no, uh, obviously, series. Oh, oh my gosh, Kirk. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'll say I, I this been this is my favorite Star Trek series to come out in the the digital age. You know, um, fact is this is my favorite Star Trek series after Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I'm hearing those sorts of comments from a lot of fans on a lot of different formats. I'm hearing echoes that people are just really thrilled by it, and those that aren't, there are very few and far between. Well, I'll count my myself yeah. as one of those. I'm, I, I'm enjoying it more than I did Discovery and Picard because I thought those mm-hmm. were terrible. But this, it's it's a, a move in the right. It's a step in the right direction, but it does need a little more. I think it needs tweaking. It needs. Uh, they don't. They need to stop relying so much on bringing up the past. I really wanted just. Yeah, to see, I agree with that. Just to see Pike and Number One and whoever the new crew was having their own adventures without constantly having to bring up something from the original series or something like that to. Uh, yeah, that la- the last episode. Now I. I really liked the last episode, but one of the characters they brought in really had me cold. Let me guess. Is it the, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it for Kirk. I you, think I know no, what no, you're no, talking you, about. Tell you what, no, let you, me step away from the mic for a moment to get a glass of water. <laughs> I'll be back in about two minutes and you can go ahead and discuss, okay? Okay. Okay. Spoilers well, I will come out and see it. Strange yeah. Worlds. But I will come out and say right now, I thought the guy they had playing Jim Kirk uh, was more like Jim Carrey on In Living Color playing Jim Kirk. I've heard that. He yeah, reminded me more of him than he not, did of, of Jim Kirk. It wasn't, the characterization. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it was not. Um, yeah, it. it the, the only it didn't one, feel the, like him. It didn't have his voice. No, and it didn't have his presence. And I don't know if they're trying to say that you know he wasn't quite the Kirk we know he was. But uh, the the thing that I don't understand, and this is again major spoilers for this episode if you haven't seen it, when they bring up the time crystals again from Discovery, which I thought was stupid, but a future version of Pike comes and says, "Hey." Look, in my reality, I didn't get, uh, I didn't get hurt and burned by the, the yeah whatever the radiation is. It leaves him scarred and in a wheelchair, but yeah, uh, because of that, terrible things happen. So you need to kind of go back and kind of re- so Pike uses it to, to go back and to actually go ahead in time, seven years or have, whatever it is, so that it's. Um, He's he the replay balance of terror, except he never left the Enterprise, so Kirk never became the captain. Kirk's on the is he on the Farragut? It's he's, the Farragut, yeah. That's Farragut. He took over time, the Farragut. Yeah. Uh and then they re kind of replay the events of Balance of Terror the way if Pike was there, how it would have ended ended in a new Romulan war. Uh, and I thought that well, one, okay, if he used the time crystal to go to the future, no, okay, well, I if I have to 
basically he was trying to find a way to stop his destiny. You know, he obviously didn't want to get right. get hurt. But it wasn't even necessarily for him. It was for the other people that get killed in the right. In the yeah. And we don't understand if this one, if uh, that happened or not. If it happened, it didn't happen. He wasn't there, so I don't know if all the the cadets were killed. And but in this one, Spock gets hurt, so Spock is damaged kind of almost the same way that he was. But he's on the yeah. Enterprise. Well, okay, that's his. He takes that knowledge back to the past. Think, okay, well, I, I can't escape my destiny. I have to kind of uh, do what I can do so that one, Spock won't get hurt, and two, we won't have a new Romulan war. Or he could just say, well, I'll let things go the way they are. I'll stay in command of the Enterprise, and then when the Romulans show up, I'll hunt them down and destroy them the way Kirk suggested. And that will prevent the war. And then Spock doesn't get hurt, and he doesn't get hurt. Of course, that changes history for everything. So then everything right. doesn't fit in. I understand that, but um, yeah, this was this was kind of like the I watched fourteen million versions of this, and only one of it doesn't work out right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The without only, without going through the fourteen million. The only thing that uh, the scene that I really liked was, and this is something I thought. Uh, Anson Williams has not been doing Anson Mount. Anson Mount. Anson Williams is Anson like, Williams is Potsy. <laughs> but now Anson he's like Mount. the mayor of some some town, and he's running for mayor or governor in California somewhere. Oh, it's like, there you go. Yeah, more power to him. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Pike never seems to take his job seriously. He they've kind of really played on that kind of good old boy kind of casual way he talks to people which is fine but he never Kirk always he always knew Kirk was in command he might be cracking a joke or he may be a little more lighthearted. but when he told somebody to do something they understood it's, yes sir I'll do that uh, Pike's people talk back to him all the time and this was the first time when the, and I can't remember the girl's name the navigator was mm -hmm. kind of Mouthing back to him, and he took. He well, she was she was playing the Styles role. I yeah. mean, she was she yeah. was the yeah. She had to be the. So he was telling her the to uh, stand down, and it's like we need a little more. Uh, it needs to be they they seem to have taken that really loose command structure from Discovery, where nobody seems to be in command. They're all just a bunch of people getting together, and brought it over to Strange New Worlds, where. You know, in the original series, you knew it was uh, it was an organized, structured military organization or semi-quasi-military, but it was it went by the the you know Kirk was in charge and what he said went. Yeah, and then no that the, that point it. there, the point there was that Kirk's way was right. Kirk's way was the the right way to go. And Which that maybe yeah. Pike's style was just a little too fast and loose. Not, I also uh, recognized when the original series was filmed, you had only 20 years earlier, a huge portion of the viewing audience were World War II veterans mm -hmm. who had been in a command structure, who had been in the military, and they, they knew uh, the value of the structure of the, the orders. When Kirk leaves the bridge, Somebody has the con. I mean, it, it's clearly identified, and so they're pitching to those adults 
during the 60s who were, were all alive and having and, families that were sitting around the TV watching this right, or I, being entertained. And I, I understand that, and that's fine. If, mindset. And that's fine if you wanted to take, uh, when they jump to the next generation and present the Federation as being a little looser, maybe a little more touchy-feely, that's fine. But when you're recreating moments of TOS or even Discovery, which takes place in that timeline, you have to kind of follow the example, which is TOS. You can't place modern-day sensibilities on a show that's supposed to take place in a time frame from I'm, a show you've already shown, already established. I'm afraid we're. I'm, I'm afraid we've kind of got. We're stuck in that right now. Yeah. We're we're stuck in that in 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 that the the woke culture has to permeate everything, and it's it's going to be that way for a while until at some point somebody you know says you know let's you know make another Archie Bunker, yeah. and and give everybody you know basically a little bit more perspective on it. But it's going to be a while before we get that. I think we should get into the book. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, unless I mean, we've already kind of talked to Discover, I mean, not Discovery, but uh, Strange New World. Which I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest, you know, again, I'm a lot more forgiving than most people. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I just had that one, one qualm, and I, I hope that they don't make make it much use of that. You know, moving forward, I think they need to stay in their lane with the with Pike and his crew. Um, I, I I'm not a fan of what the one the one storyline that they have with number one. That they've got going on, but we'll just see what happens. Well, I, uh, yeah, and I'm not right. I agree. I, the show is called Strange New Worlds. Let's go see mm -hmm. Strange New Worlds. Let's don't keep revisiting stuff that we kind of already have. Uh, yeah, but we knew they were going to do that once they once they mentioned her background, once they made that apparent. You know, you knew that they were going to do that. Now, the show is uh, serialized TV. Where you're getting, you know, one and done, one hour episodes giving you the full story, so you can watch any one of them in a vacuum, and you don't have to sit there and watch all the that's, others. That's good. I like the fact but, that it's gone back to being serialized. It's not episodic. Yeah, episodic, and it, it's not serialized. Yeah, uh, but I, I mean, it, the 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 thing is, there there are going to have little storylines that go across the whole the whole season, and so that's going to be part of the next season. Um, which I think is, you know, again, it could turn out to be a lot better, but uh, it's it's definitely not something I'm I'm necessarily a huge fan of that particular storyline. That being yeah. said, yeah. let's, yeah, that that and the the shipping of Spock and uh, Nurse Chapel, they're really leaning well, into. They, they they're just gonna put it where she starts getting her crush on him, and 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 you know that it just you know really is going to permeate. I don't mind that. Um, and I like the fact that they've been, they've made use of to pring and they've kind of softened to pring, uh, a bit because of what we know of her. And, and we actually might talk about that a little bit today anyway, but, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to show my wife a muck time. So she gets an understanding of where to pring goes in all this. Well, you need to have her listen to our, uh, uh audio reading of a muck time that we did when I was in New York for, what was I there for? It was the first Freaks get-together, and Bill had... Was that the bar... That was, that was in the barbecue? Yep. Where you guys made hot dogs? Yep, and Bill transcribed <laughs> the mock time, and we all 
read it. I don't know if you read the I whole I forgot script. about that. And you, yeah. you did Stan as I played Stan as Kermit the Frog, yeah. That one of my final Hi, moments. Hello, everybody. Yep. Well, tell us about this one. All right. Uh, as we said, this is uh, John Byrne's Star Trek work, and it's a Fometi book. It's a photo novel. It's He's grabbing images from uh, the, the original TV series and photoshopping them in and creating whole new stories. But it looks like the way he's got it laid out with word balloons and the boxes and everything, it looks just like the old photo novels that, you, that came out in the 70s. And as Kirk said, this is Star Trek Visions issue number five. The story is called, there are two stories in this, and I'm really only going to cover the first, which is the main story, and it's called Ascent of Ghosts. Uh, our writer is John Byrne. Of course, our artist, letterer, photoshopper, creator is John Byrne. Our editor is Chris Rael. Uh, IDW put this out. This came out uh, March 11th, 2015, and it has 48 pages. No ads. And it's the big kind of slick uh, Baxter-type paper, and it's got kind of a square bound. It's not... Uh, like, it's not like a prestige format. Right. It's not a saddle stitch, which is what a regular comic is. A uh, few notes. This uh, The star dates in this episode are 6158.3. Uh, to 6160.4. Um, these events take place, uh, they seem to take place after the original run of the three-year season we've seen. Um, and the inverse universe years, as best I can determine, are, is this, is a, this story takes place in the past and the present. You know, kind of parallel storytelling. It's 2263 and 2270. So 70 would put it like season four of Star Trek. Uh, so 2263. So it, it's a good, um, uh, let's see, uh, four, four or five years, or you know, no, six years after the events of The Cage. Right. Yeah. Okay. They've established that the original Star Trek series is like from 22. 66, 67, 68, 69. So they kind of follow the years it came out. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of, I don't know if that's canon, but that's kind of canon. I think um, that's typically uh, how they feel it. So, uh, But in like the Menagerie, they stated that the events that took place in the, in the cage were 13 years prior to that episode. Right. So Spike so, was... Yeah. was if based on this, that means Pike was command for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Over five years. Yep. So, All right. All synopsis right. for Ascent of Ghosts, which is a reference to Hamlet, a, a quote from Hamlet. Um, teaser, star date unknown, but the estimated year is 2264. Starbase 9, science officer's log. Captain Christopher Pike and Lieutenant Commander... Una Chen Riley, if I can get that right, depart the USS Enterprise for their new assignment. Mr. Spock chooses to remain on board the Enterprise. Star date 6160.4, estimated year 2270. Location orbiting planet Valeris 4. Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, Dr. McCoy, and Mr. Scott are awaiting the arrival of the new captain of the Yorktown. Commodore Una Chen Riley beams aboard. 
She is greeted by her former crewmates, Mr. Spock and Mr. Scott. The Enterprise's mission is to bring the commander to her new command, the Yorktown. Kirk offers to take Una on a tour of the ship. While touring sickbay, the captain receives word from Lieutenant Uhura that they are picking up a ship's automated emergency beacon. The beacon is coming from the Yorktown. Now we jump to the past. Stardate unknown, but estimated year 2263. Bridge of the USS Enterprise under the command of Christopher Pike. The ship has detected a large unknown vessel ahead. The ship suddenly appeared on their scanners, but no apparent power source. It seems to ride the waves of the fabric of space. The Enterprise approaches slowly. Back to the future. Oh my Kirk's god! <laughs> Great start. <laughs> that ties in. Kirk, McCoy, Spock, and Una arrive on the bridge. The Enterprise is closing to 150,000 kilometers from the Yorktown. Yorktown does not respond to any hails. Mr. Spock determines Yorktown's shields are up, but they cannot detect any life forms aboard and no visible external damage. What happened to the crew? The Enterprise matches speed and course. Kirk asks Spock to find a way to beam through the shields. Spock matches shield frequency, and Kirk, Spock, Sula, and McCoy prepare to beam aboard. The Commodore offers to tag along, but Kirk does not want to jeopardize her safety. Back to the past. Pike's Enterprise. The landing party materialized on the alien ship in a long hallway. The air is stale, dead, with no humidity. They check on their ship and begin to explore. They check in with the ship and the unexplore. Back to the future. Kirk's Enterprise. On board the Yorktown, our Fab Four check the conditions on the bridge. There is no sign of life and no bodies. Sulu notices the tactical scanner is deployed. The ship might have been ready for battle. McCoy's tricorder picks up intermittent signals when suddenly Sulu vanishes. Spock picks up an energy flux, but the helmsman disappeared. In mid-exposition, Spock vanishes. Kirk contacts the Enterprise for a beam out when he disappears. Scotty contacts the doctor and asks what is going on. McCoy tells him Kirk, Spock, and Sulu are gone, and he is not leaving the ship until he finds out why. On the Enterprise bridge, Lieutenant Kyle tells the Commodore the Yorktown has changed course, heading for the Enterprise, and her phasers are locked on. Back to the past. Pike's Enterprise. The landing party is making their way towards the core of the ship. Spock feels the air moving as they discover a huge ventilation shaft running through the central axis of the ship. They discover the shaft is a type of gravity elevator, and Pike wants to investigate. Kelso brings a coil of space rope from his pack and ties it around the captain's waist despite, no one's, despite everyone's objections. The others slowly lower him down. Future, Kirk's Enterprise. The Enterprise is rocked by a mighty thoom as the Yorktown unleashes phasers set at 200% power level. The Enterprise's shields barely hold. The Commodore orders evasive action as the Commodore comes around for another attack. Phasers are now 400%. The Commodore needs to disable the Yorktown without destroying her. She orders Mr. Scott to the bridge, but the engineer is trying to convince McCoy to, game, to beam back. Yorktown is now attacking with 500% phaser fire. Which will fail first, the Yorktown's overheated phasers or the Enterprise's shields? The Enterprise turns to attack and hits the Yorktown's engineering section with a powerful Room. Mr. Chekhov takes over at the science station and scans for damages to the sister ship. Ship has lost power and systems are shutting down. The shields have not been raised. Mr. Scott contacts the bridge telling the commander 
the Commodore, McCoy will not leave the Yorktown. She, he informs her the Yorktown's emergency systems are not sealing the breaches. The ship is losing atmosphere fast. It's time for the Commodore to talk some sense into the doctor. She tells the physician he is not immune to whatever took the others, but he wants to stay. He has a feeling he is missing something, something he's seen. Yorktown swings around and, and tries to get under the Enterprise. Since, since McCoy will not leave, Mr. Scott wants to beam aboard and repair the damage. Back to the past. Pike's Enterprise. Captain Pike continues to lower into the shaft. The gravity lift is providing a smooth descent. He notes there is very little change in the ship design. Mr. Scott contacts the captain. He is picking up changes to the wave, the wave front the ship is riding. He speculates the ship is changing course or accelerating. Back to the future, Kirk's Enterprise. Mr. Scott prepares to beam aboard the Yorktown. He materializes on the bridge next to a surprise doctor. Scotsman pushes a few buttons but does not vanish. His theory is nothing would happen if his actions were passive, not hostile. Doctor agrees. Kirk, Spock, and Sulu's actions could have been interpreted as hostile. The situation is starting to feel familiar to the engineer and the, and the Commodore. Mr. Scott wants to play back the bridge logs. Captain's Log, Stardate 6158.3 On schedule for rendezvous with USS Enterprise, Science Officer Ark has reported an unusual contact. We are altering course to investigate. What do you make of make of it, Mr. Tiark? A ship, Captain. Checking Starfleet records for any sim similar vessels. While Tark's check runs, I have elected to more closely examine the alien ship. Holding at 25,000 kilometers, Captain. Sir, we are being probed. Captain, We are they are penetrating our... Mr. Scott is shocked. He knows the ship on the screen, and the aliens should be friendly. Back to the past. Pike descends to a level with banks of machines going down through the rest of the ship. He speculates it is part of the main engines. Spock suspects the ship may not belong to our universe. The ship's... The ship begins to pick up speed and the fields around it are intensifying. The ship could be preparing to jump to another dimension. The landing party needs to get off the ship. Pike orders transportation, but the Enterprise can't lock on. They try to break through the interference on their side when Kelso and Scotty vanish. An alien projection appears before them. Pike tries to communicate. The projection is Library Interface 9397. Pike asks where his men are. The holograph tells him they are safe and with the others. The others? They are with the other 40 billion beings on the ship. The master ship was created to save them. Back to the future. Kirk's Enterprise. The Yorktown. On the Yorktown. Mr. Scott, uh, McCoy demands answers from Scotty, but the in engineer is too busy trying to shut down the weapon system so the ship can't continue attacking the Enterprise. The Enterprise stands down as it seems Yorktown has ceased its attack. Scotty has redirected the phaser power and McCoy wants answers. Back to the past. Pike's Enterprise. Scotty tells his tale. The hologram explains a ship holds the essence of 40 billion beings, the survivors of a lost universe. Approximately 500,000 years ago, the ship was built. As conditions in our universe grow increasingly inhospitable, to life as we know it. We created a fleet to search parallel dimensions for a universe where we might once again thrive. Their quest had taken them through thousands of dimensions, but none has met their needs. The, project 
a projection explains the automated scanners detected life forms outside the matrix and absorbed them. He then returns Kelso and Scotty. Scotty's tale ends. Back to the future. Kirk's Enterprise. McCoy asks if the Yorktown met the same met the same ship. Scotty thinks it was possibly a sister ship, but something different happened this time. The other aliens departed as friends, Scotty explained. The Yorktown seems to be protecting itself. He pushed a few buttons and Kirk, Spock, and Sulu appear. He hopes the ship does not react to what he has done. Scotty fills Kirk in on the situation and he then shows Spock the bridge logs with the image of the alien ship. Spock explains to Kirk he and Scotty have history with the alien ship. He suggests they notify the Commodore as she is familiar also. Spock thinks he can bring the crew back but needs power. Scotty tells them they had to damage Yorktown. With the power restored, Spock brings the crew back. All decks report all crew have returned. Later, Scotty has checked the whole ship and finds no trace of an alien presence. He speculates the absorbing effect was the cause of coming in contact with the alien sister ship, a temporary field effect. Kirk feels it was quite a coincidence that the ship encountered crew that were familiar with it. Una says Yorktown has found his first mission, investigate these alien vessels. The crew assembles in the hangar deck for a ceremony as Commodore takes, officially takes command of her new ship. Epilogue Spock explains the colonizer ships reacted as they were programmed when they absorbed the crew of the, Interpr uh, the Enterprise six years earlier. When the sister ship encountered the Yorktown, it used the ship itself to absorb the crew, and the effect of the field lingered after the ship left. He speculates all the colonizer ships are in communication with each other, and he thinks that the first ship instructed the rest to seek out Federation starships in the future. The end. Well done. Well Thank done. you. Thank that you. was. Uh, that's I, a tough story. I, that's a tough story. It, it was a, kind of a slog to get through. It was. Um, because yeah, it kept the, jumping the, back and forth. Yeah, because it kept jumping back and forth. I really like the the alien ship design, though I'm I'm not necessarily as enamored of the color green. If if they'd made it a different color, it might be more appealing. But when you when you make something in comics format green, you typically have it situated as a villain of some type. Mm -hmm. But you typically would go for a darker green, not this pea soup green. But uh, still, it, it worked really well, especially on the cover. When you see its size in relation to the Enterprise, it's almost like as big, if not bigger, than the say the Thesaurus or the Planet Killer. It's that. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Doomsday Machine. And this is mm -hmm. a, a sample of his... Uh, the ship is created with using 3D. So it's a 3D... Uh, it looks almost kind of like Babylon 5, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, it's got, it's got some things in there, but it doesn't have any kind of revolving you know, section because it's going to have its own artificial gravity. As we saw, they, they were masters of gravity uh, within the story. I like the, I like the story... Um, the only thing that, that really bugged me throughout was uh, now you you called her by her name that they're using on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Right, and, I will right. always know her as number one because they never did reveal her name there, no. and Byrne had kept along with that uh, in everything he did. Fact of the matter is, he is not watching Strange New Worlds because that, that, that when when someone revealed that they given her name as Una, he says I'm out. Yeah. 
And so well, he hasn't he has not watched any of it. Yeah, and I, I I just grabbed that name because it was revealed in Strange New Worlds because I didn't I didn't, I didn't want to either just keep calling it the the uh, the Commodore Commodore or number one because nobody refers to her as number one. She is because right. she's not number not one since, anymore. She's just Commodore, right. but. Um, well, I mean, they could have kept her name as number one if they didn't use it in next gen. Because nowhere in the original series after that was it ever used. Yeah. Kirk never referred to Spock as his number one or anything. No. And it was just because they used it in next gen, then all of a sudden that, you know, changed it. I mean, you could have said that she was number one regardless, you know. Maybe she was Starfleet's number one. Number one, you know, in, in her ranking of... Uh, Whatever, number one in, in meritorious awards or medals or you know, doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean it's it's just it is what it is, and they've they've you know, basically given her a name, and so it just kind of diffuses all that. Now that being said, we know that in Star Trek Crew, uh, in the, the episode that we covered, when she was on the Enterprise again, it was a before the christening. Uh, she had inscribed her name in part of the the ship the deck plate, uh, plate. Or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the deck plate. So we know that she does have a real name, and and it, it's it's been revealed in the TV show as to what it is, Una, which of course is a a uh, way of saying one. Oh, true. Um, in oh. in the Latino form. So you know, I mean, it is again what it is. Uh, my 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 biggest complaint in this whole story was her hair now and then again when he was drawing her in crew and they showed her on the as captain of the Yorktown um, obviously older she had that white streak of hair the skunk stripe uh, as I like to refer to it and it looks really good in the drawn comic book format but here it's a special effect and it yeah, stuck it, it stood it, out it does not work it's just a painted stripe um, I agree it looks much better when he's actually drawing her with, with pen and ink, but um, right, right. Well, I'm interested in what Kirk. You kind of breezed through this. What did you? Uh, what did What did you think? Well, I was a bit surprised. I, I had gotten through 11 pages and had not realized it was 48, so I didn't get it anywhere near as far into it as I'd realized. But as you were summarizing it, I was flipping through it and following along. So. Um, your synopsis was very good from what I could Thank tell. You. I was able to keep peace and uh, and kind of catch where where I was. I agree with your comment about the hair. Um, I, I enjoyed it because the parallel structure. I didn't have any problems with them jumping to the past, the the original, original crew, Pike's crew versus Kirk's crew, if you want to call it that way. Um, and I think it's partially because of the color of the uniforms that I immediately knew where we were. And it was yeah. obvious to me that they were going to be somehow linked together, that they were experiencing similar things. I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was a good effort. And the fact that it's a done-in-one episodic, uh, you know, tonight's episode, and it's completely yeah. in one, I, that's great. I like that very much. One of the things I really liked was the um, the uh, having Lee Kelso in the story. Now, Lee Kelso's character, we only saw an episode where No Man Has Gone before. He wasn't in uh, The Cage or Menagerie. 
Right. Uh, the actor Paul Carr was just in the one episode, and yet Burns seamlessly inserts him into the story as part of Pike's crew, and it makes sense, especially later in Pike's you know career, as as this was towards the the end of it of him being on the Enterprise that Kelso would be there. Um, uh, I've got a, a connection to Kelso because if you ever played the FASA role playing game Star Trek, the role playing game. Your character and Lee Kelso's went up into the academy together and graduated and got you know their first uh, commission oh, together. Interesting. And so it, it's like there's always that that uh, little bond there that makes me you know, I'm always pleased to see Lee Kelso in there. Yeah, I yeah, played know, uh, Star Trek the role play game in right? the mid '80s. Yeah, and then where no man has gone before when Gary Mitchell. Yes. Killed yeah, him. and that, which yeah. I thought was a waste. That was very. I was sad to see that every time that it happens because one half so quickly, two, they really invested quite a bit into that that character. He was uh, a likable character. Yes, and yeah. you were supposed to like him, so that the the act is so repulsive. I mean, you are supposed to. It's been painted that way, but I, I was I'm glad to see more of him, and I'm sorry that there wasn't some trace of him in the original series so well we're hoping yeah, I'm hoping that they bring him into Strange New Worlds and that they, they bring back that character I mean it, it would be They've easy to, to find a, an actor that could to, obviously Paul Carr passed away in 2006 and he was 72 at the time so uh, yeah well they can do what they did with Mr. Kyle they did a complete race swap with him he's now an yep. Asian guy so they can just change him to be whoever and he can have that name um well i don't want to disagree with my two fellow hosts here but i found this story boring um of the of the all the new visions i've read this one i thought was had the kind of the flimsiest story and he kind of scratching at he's scratching at an idea but it just the the two parallels don't work in that we don't have I think it would have been better if the Kirk's Enterprise had encountered the sister ship. Hmm. Or if it was all ton from the Yorktown's point of view and they encountered, you see the sister ship. Because we're dealing with, you know, they're coming across the Yorktown, it, it, the, the ship itself seems to be, uh, you know, I can understand if there was uh, this field effect that, that the that the ship generates that was causing it, but then why would it seem to take control of the Yorktown's computer and make it almost what? sentient so it's protecting itself? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you're dealing with two different ships, even though they're, they're similar in appearance. And in their evolution, they both have, have gone kind of different ways in how that they're they're doing their whole thing. What I like the most about this is how it really comes down to Scotty and McCoy to to figure it out. And, you know, like McCoy realizing, you know, and then Scotty realizing that you have to be more passive to uh, to survive that. You're, you're beating the defense mechanism of the thing after all. Right, but if, you, if that's supposed to run parallel to Pike and his crew on the ship, they're on right. that ship for quite a while before they get absorbed. It seems like... It's only at the end that, oh, they absorbed only two of them, not all of them. And it seems to be the ship, which makes sense, the ship is 
I guess, kind of, it's Perfect. almost like a keeping them all in, in transporter stasis or something. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. he, it recognizes like, oh, there should not be living things in the ship, right? So he grabs them and puts them in a storage container or something, beams them out and stores them. Matrix what'd style. Th- what'd you think of that, the alien design? Yeah, it's some it's more alien. 3D style. I, I, I mean, yeah, th- th- we've seen this in this 3D stuff. That it's definitely something outside the bounds of what we'd seen in original series and, and even what we would see today on, um, you know, in, on any of the shows. You know, he's trying to create something you haven't seen before. That's, that's good, yeah. It looks like something you'd see in the animated series. Yeah, but, yeah. But on the Pike, when Pike... When Pike's crew is investigating the ship, there doesn't seem to be a defense mechanism. It's more the computer, you know, it's automated. It's like, oh, these are living things. They shouldn't be here. I'm going to put them away. It's that's not a def- it's not protecting itself. It's not right. a defense mechanism. So well, yeah, again, the, the the two ships are are similar and yet different enough. That's, that, I, I mean, because they've been they've been traveling for I don't think thousands that's, of years. Yeah, okay. maybe that's maybe in dim, but I don't think that's clear. I mean, Scotty has a one-off line that oh they encountered a similar ship but something different happened but yeah why you know let's be a little more clear about what's going on i don't think burns kind of he he tries to make that subtle nudge of of what it actually is but he's not you know he's not laying he's not hitting over the head of the two by four of of what what the the explanation is you kind of have to figure it out for yourself yeah, but I think Byrne likes to explain things to when he's got a, kind of a high concept of these interdimensional um, castaways that are just jumping from uh, universe to universe. And here's another thing. If the first ship, if all the ships are connected, as he suspects, all these, I don't know how many colony ships there are, mm-hmm. they're all connected in communication. The first one jumps into our universe, has the encounter with Pike, and finds, oh, well, this universe won't do, so they jump out. Don't you think they would communicate that to all the rest of the ships and say, hey, I've already been there. That universe isn't any good. Don't go there. So why would the sister ship pop in? Well, so again, the, 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 the issue that you have there, and again, he doesn't state this specifically, but the, the thing is is that you know, as they're shifting through universes, they're also shifting through time. So there's nothing that says that for them, this is before what happens with the other. Yeah, but where is that? Did I miss some dialogue that they're jumping through time as well? No, no. See? But, I mean, yeah, and that, again, it's not explicitly stated. And I, again, I'm, I'm taking a lot on, on faith there. And, uh, you know, that's just me. I could be wrong. I don't have a problem being wrong. But I, I'm not, again, I, I'm sitting there working with my son on, the, on some stuff, and we've been talking a lot of, Relativity and grand unification theories, and it's really gotten me thinking about, you know, relativistic time in different areas of space. So it it, it it's just always on top of my head lately. <laughs> well, Byrne is always liked high concept. He did a lot of that when he was doing mm-hmm. FF. He would bring in real science and and give you a kind of a solid idea of what he's trying to convey. And here it seems like it's just. He's got a vague idea of what he wants to do, and he doesn't quite nail. You know, I want some more techno babble. I want some more uh, 
a little more dialogue about what's going on. And I think, you know, I like Scotty and McCoy working together, but they do seem to jump uh, to some conclusions because what we see in the past, when Scotty makes the assumption like, oh, I don't want to do anything that's perceived as hostile, they won't take me. But that is completely different than his experience with the other ship where it was taking life forms because there shouldn't be life forms there. It wasn't necessarily protecting itself or reacting to something that was hostile. And for him to make that leap seems a little unbelievable because if we are dealing with a different ship, as you said, Brian, that's gone through changes or it's reacting mm-hmm. differently, evolved. evolved, then... Well, there's there's ten, there's 10 of those ships out there. Because, you know, how they how you said towards the end, you know, that there's 40 billion life boards aboard the ship, and he says, yeah, that's one-tenth of the survivors of our lost universe. Oh, I read so that. So one-tenth of the survivors. Yeah, I read that as only a 10% of their life, of their species. Okay, I, I misread that. I thought it was just a 10% of, was on that ship. They can only save 10%. Um, right. No, they're, they're, so he says it's one-tenth of the survivors, so that means that there's 10 ships... And each ship apparently holds forty billion. Yeah. So you know these are all the people that that Thanos snapped. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it in a way this feels a little like a next gen plot because you know, that's they funny were you mentioned run, that because the next the next book is also kind of a a next gen story in some ways. I had the, uh, I was flashing the resistance. On that's the one pre board Borg. I was thinking more about Space Seed, that this is a sleeper ship. Yeah, it is. It is. And it, and it, um, you know, uh, know, I would like to think that there might have been some explanation as to why, if they've done this, they seem like they've been doing this. They've gone through a thousand different universes. They've popped in and out. Uh, what, you know, was their universe so alien to us that it they can't survive in our universe? You know what makes it different? Make it like, um, oh, what was the species in uh, Voyager? Species eight one eight four seven two. two. They they lick they were in a liquid universe. You know that's completely alien to us. Um, yeah, but I mean this is extra dimensional. It, it goes beyond even our sensory to to visualize. Um, Visualize these and how they actually react and interact with the universe at hand. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the, our our you know universe is so regimented by those first three dimensions that it, it's impossible to conceive of beyond it. Whereas these guys, that's just their that's their bread and butter. So uh, just, yeah, just, it's good. It, yeah. yeah. I, it was a slog. I thought it was a slog to get through. Because I felt nothing was really happening, and then it kind of gets wrapped up real quick in the end. Um, it did get wrapped up a little quick. I, I still enjoyed it, but that's—I I mean, I, did, I didn't hate it, but compared to the other, the other Fabetti books he's done, I thought the storytelling in this was a little, you know, this is, uh, you know, think of some of your third tier. Uh, TOS episodes, the ones you read on, and the children shall leave. Those kind of episodes. Uh, <laughs> no, this is better than that. I mean, again, you know, we had a lot of things in this one that that you don't get to see as often as you'd like. Uh, starships in combat, um, which I, I thought were good. Uh, the uh, 
of course, you know, Byrne did a couple things to represent the differences between the two. Uh, I mean, just the blue railing on the Yorktown and the color, the purple coloring of the. I guess it's purple all over the uh, coloring of the Yorktown. Blue highlights, which I, he brought over from when he drew the book. I guess when he showed her yeah. and that's got the same thing, which doesn't make sense. Why? I mean, I always thought that red was there as kind of a safety. Like an OSHA, yeah, that's what I thought too. But <laughs> it's an OSHA safety uh, railing, but yeah, if they had OSHA on there, they'd have seat belts, <laughs> they'd have all sorts of handholds, <laughs> you know. But no, no, it, it can't be. It can't be a safety thing. <laughs> well, they, they gave them seat belts later. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't want to th- make a sound to our listeners that I hated this. I just thought that of his work I've, of these books I've, I've read so far that this is probably my least favorite um, mm. he didn't seem like he was having a lot of it didn't seem like he was having a lot of fun with it I really wanted him to either really dive into the weirdness of this alien ship and let's spend more time there or explain a little more about what's going on uh, let's see the ship in Kirk's universe you know let's see that or maybe it's uh, you know you could have done this well, I guess he couldn't have because he couldn't have grabbed other. Uh, he wouldn't have the available actors. I thought, what well, if he cut out the Enterprise altogether, and this was just Pike's Enterprise in the past and the Yorktown in the future, after um, Number One has taken con- command? But you would have to really substitute a lot of actors. Um, you couldn't use as much, so. Right. Okay. So now- Squarecard breathes. Brian and Kirk think it's great. Tim thinks it's terrible. I don't think it's terrible. I mean, if I was grading it, I'd give it a C. Okay, but on the the technical side, I'm still looking at at things in here. Number one, the uniform that they have the Commodore in, that green smock kind of thing. Now, she never actually wore that anywhere. That's something he's created for this, or he took off of someone else to utilize on her. It looks a little bit like Sally Sally Kellerman's outfit, and, uh, you know, she had kind of a, a large... Kind of collar instead turtle. of turtle. She had a turtle. Yeah, it was right. a turtleneck collar. You know that looks like he's taken that and painted that turtleneck part of it black. Mm. Now Nimoy's um, Nimoy's outfit on the Captain Pike vessel, of course, is if you didn't notice, a little different than everybody else's. The color is is just off a little bit, uh, and of course the collar is more rigid around his neck, and that's because his had to be made with zippers so that they could open it up and take the shirt off over his head without affecting the ears right. or his hair. Right. Um, so he didn't have the same same outfit that everybody else did uh, during the the cage or the menagerie. Well, even uh, the Commodore's green uniform, I assume that's supposed to be the green, the same green that Kirk had when he wears his wraparound tunic. Yeah, but uh, sometimes it's just really green. Yeah, yeah. The, the the coloring from one page to the next seems off. Yeah, and that's just from because he's having to take probably a yellow. Uh, well, no, if it would have been Sally Kellerman's, if that's Sally Kellerman's body, that's probably I think it blue. is blue. That's blue, and he's having to change the color from blue to so. When you do that in Photoshop, it's not exact. Um, Kellerman's arms are long. I think you're right. Not not all of these are Kellerman's bodies. No. Uh, hang on. What is it? Page 
What page am I on? The top of page five. There's at least three images of number one, Commodore um, number one, whatever name is. Um, the, the one on the far right, I think, is Kellman's body because of the long arms, but the one on the left in the first panel um, yeah, is she needs to do a different maneuver there. It's some, it's, it's her bust line is a little different, and it's just also a, it's all bunched up because she's been sitting. It's all bunched up because she's been sitting. She needs to do a Picard maneuver. <laughs> it does pull it, 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 pull it down. <laughs> her tunic seems to be fitting tighter. In the no, no, no. There's something left. else here. The one on the left has a pointed crotch. The one on the right is straight across the belt line. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like it's tucked in, or yeah. yeah. No, you're right. Anyways, we're nitpicking here, but uh, this is probably how how he did it. Because as I flip through it in other, I'm looking for other places for her. I thought maybe he might have. Who was the other actress that was in? Uh, the menagerie with with uh, Pike. We have number one that's taken, and then there's, there's a, a yeoman. There's a yeah, blonde. I'm wondering actress. if one of these bodies might have been her, because that no, she was she was um, a little bit more petite. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm you're right. That might be. Right. And they didn't even use her at all in this when they could have. But I guess after the cage, you know, Pike reassigned her. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, you're right, Kirk, because on top of page seven, you can see that tunic has a definite kind of widow's peak at the bottom of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And you see it again on top of page eight. So, I mean, to, to your point, that, those are nitpicks because he's, you know, he's taken 50-year-old screenshots and he's trying to manipulate them as best he can. I mean, I think for what he's doing, he's doing a pretty good job of recreating... Um, you know, and he's he's to your, you made this point earlier, Brian. He's mentioned this when I think I saw him in Boston. I think maybe we saw him in Dallas. That he does have a like a photographic memory of. So he when he's laying out his his story, he goes, "Okay, I need a scene of Kirk looking this direction here," and he knows instantly what episode and where to go get it. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, now look at page 22. Top left panel, that's the one where Scotty's on the transporter pad. When I first looked at that, I thought Scotty was on the transporter pad and running the transporter. But obviously, it, it, it's got to be someone else. Um, it looks like Byrne did manipulate the image of the head on that guy, too. If you, if you look at it carefully, you'll see a little bit of a halo around that guy's head. So that may yeah. have been... Scotty from one image and he put a different head on it. Could be, or he's, or it's, it could be, you know. And I think this whole this whole room is he's done in 3D. He's done the transporter control. He's done the pad. He's obviously taken the the lights, I think, from an image and put them on there. But I think well, he's got the the, the that special monitor system from Assignment Earth over there on the on the right, you know, in between Scotty and Number One. Yeah. Where's you can the see food, that, that Where's the there. food replicator that can make him a bowl of soup? Oh man, I don't know. That's that's a good question. How did he miss that? Huh. Well, apparently, it, of nit go ahead, go ahead, Kirk. Well, I was thinking about this is actually a nitpick, but uh, uh, hang on a second. I just ran across Kelso. 
image. I was I'm looking for uh, Captain Kirk sitting around the, the conference table uh, there because there's a shot from one one scene to the next. Kirk's hair goes there. It is. All right, it's 35 at the bottom. Um, they're sitting around discussing the situation, and in one shot, Kirk's hair is perfectly um, perfectly fine, and then the next panel right below where he starts, yeah. whatever the case, his hair is now messed, and he's looking you know, a little it, bit amused. It it works, images like that, yeah, images like that remind me of Alex Ross's art. Uh, yeah. I noticed that like the, the, the first image of number one when she's aboard the uh, Enterprise also looked like uh, Alex Ross had actually painted it rather than uh, it being a screen grab. But yeah, um, that image of Kirk there, it looks like a third season image because his, his toupee was a little ragged uh, in, in the third season, I know. But uh, the hairpiece he wore, that is. Yeah. And I didn't Oof. know that where they Pops wore a hairpiece. He started to, I think, and famously he wears. I mean, he basically he's not like bald, bald, but he's got patches where he's it was losing hair, and so they would you know do these these special hair pieces designed just for him, and he would you know keep them and not return them uh, <laughs> after the seasons. Um, but I think that somewhere in the eighties he kind of got some kind of transplant or he's something. Got so that, or something, yeah. Because like in in Star Trek Four when he's swimming underwater, you can see that all that hair is his. Yeah. Yeah. So. And on what? the opposite page, I didn't bring it up, but that is uh, was it the Commodore from Court Martial that's handing over the. Uh, Oh yeah, that's uh, uh, what's his yes. name, uh, Malachi Throne, wasn't it? Yeah. No, no, Malachi Throne is Commodore Mendez. Where are you? Yeah. yeah. Are you at thirty-six? Yes, the bottom of yeah. thirty-six. I can't think of the actor's name, but he's got a great deep um, voice. I can't think of him. Uh, it's not uh, James Earl Jones, but it's mm. it's an actor with a great deep voice, and I can't think of which episode he's from. I think it's Court Martial because he's the one that when they're looking for Finney, he comes on board. Um, yes. Yes. That's it. Yeah. That was just last week's episode, too. Yeah. And uh. I, I like, and they've carried this, I will say this, they've carried this over into uh, Stranger Worlds where she's getting her, uh, I don't know why she'll be getting, it's like she's getting her patch to put in her uniform and they're going with every ship has, you know, the it's Enterprise had the Delta, but everybody else had a different, which I like that. And then Next Gen just said, nope, they're all got the Delta. Uh, they do that on uh, Stranger Worlds, that each ship seems to have its own. Because Kirk, spoiler, when you see Kirk on the Stranger Worlds, he's got, for the Farragut, he's got a different um, mark on his tunic. And you can see the one on, the when you see the captain of... Um, captain's name when they'll bring the crew back and he and I'll, and I'll say this for for burn too he's being very progressive because he's made the captain of the yorktown a, uh, a black man mm -hmm. um which you know not to say that that wouldn't have happened uh if the show had stayed on the air in the 60s but um and i would think that a commodore i mean i know commodore wesley was in charge of when they did the war games for the ultimate computer, he had his own mm -hmm. ship. But I would think a Commodore at that rank, because a Commodore is above an Admiral, isn't it? 
he, uh, no, no, it's below an admiral. But the, 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 can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, but but it, in this case, it, it makes sense because if you remember, no, the, the was it last episode, Turnabout Intruder? Uh, a woman had not not yet become captain of a starship uh, in that continuity. That's true. And so with her being given her command, um, it, having her as a commodore, it's kind of like, okay, well, she's gone the extra mile. Uh, let's go ahead and give it to her. True. So and, I, it, it, and, I, and I forgot all about that, Brian. I'm surprised that they did not make mention of that. Like, congratulations, you're the first female captain. But the fact that he doesn't is great. It's just like it's not a big deal. Um, I always well, thought his Commodores or oh. upper ranks would have like a flagship. Like an Admiral would have a, uh, a flagship that they wouldn't necessarily go on the same kind of missions that a captain would. But they would... Be- well, they, they would typically be fleet commander, all right? So, right. like, if you watch uh, The Hunt for Red October... And there's a point where Ryan lands on the Enterprise, uh, the, 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 the aircraft carrier. Um, it has a captain, and that's the guy that plays Moriarty in Next Generation. But Fred Thompson is there as an admiral. And he's, right. he's like like the fleet commanders, but still you've got the captain that basically is captain of the boat, and then you've got the fleet commander who's on the flagship who's, you know, still he's running the show, but he's going to let someone else run the ship. Right. It's kind of like Air Force One. I mean, if, if you're mm-hmm. going into an operation, you're going to get an admiral, like you said, to oversee it, but he's going to have a main ship that he's going to be on, which would be, like you said, a command ship or something. Um, right. And then he would... But he does probably now, have a personal ship. I'm not military in any way. I don't know every military structure. I could be wrong, and if somebody wants to correct me, feel free. <laughs> you know, Bill Robinson. I know you you were there. You were involved, so you can you can sit there and say say whatever you like. Of course, that's Scott. Scott. Or Scott. Yes, yeah, Scott was military and, uh, also. Yeah. Scott or, or our own John Hyatt could. Come oh yeah, on. that's right. Yep. Yep. Now. uh Let's. I mean, I think we've done everything on this story. Let's talk about the second story for a moment. I know that you didn't write a synopsis for it, and it's really not necessary because it's a very short story, uh, very very straightforward story that you don't necessarily get the full shot of it until the uh, the end part. But uh, it's a it's a Spock story. It takes place on Vulcan. It looks now like it is when Spock is going through the Colinar. Uh, you know, portion of his uh, what do you what do you would call that transition? His story <laughs> yeah, his transition. Yeah, he's trying to purge the uh, the human 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 emotions. And in his travel on that, he has something that draws him to a particular place, and he comes across to Pring. And rocks. What? Vasquez Rocks. At Vasquez, yeah, Vasquez Rocks. That's where it starts. Yeah, it, so it's like uh, this is very much in the same area that uh, Zachary Quint was in uh, start in 2009 Star Trek. <laughs> yep. But um, so you know he goes into this temple and there's Tupring and she basically tells him, you know, you were right all along. What you said to Stom was right. What you said to me was right. And uh, I hadn't thought about it carefully. Uh, I made my mistakes there, and you know now I'm suffering the the results of that. And she goes, uh, you know, because we did, because I I was so arrogant, I thought that uh, 
I, with the passion that I have with Stan, I could break away from you. And it turns out that's not the case. And Spock says, I understand. And he releases her Katra and says, safe journey. He doesn't say live long and prosper, he says safe journey. And then Tupring fades away. And you realize that he is standing at her grave. Oh. Yeah. So she had died, but because of the tie that she had to Spock, uh, you know, that their that their minds were one, uh, that uh, she could not break away the uh, earthly plane. And so now we know now we know where ghosts come from. But yeah, and, and that was del- of course dedicated to Arlene Martell, who passed away uh, right around that time. Yeah, so peace. Yeah. Anyway, I thought I thought that was an interesting story. Nice little nice little thing. He'd done a, a similar thing with uh, uh, Grace Lee Whitney's uh, Yeoman Rand character in a in a different uh, issue to show her leaving the Enterprise and her giving her reasons to was it Nurse Chapel or was it Ahura? I know she's talking to one of the female crewmen and uh, explaining why she's leaving the Enterprise and then Kirk goes off and sees her in the transporter room and they say their goodbyes and she takes off. And what um, was her reasons? Well, it was never going to happen. I mean, you know, she, she was in love with Jim Kirk and she knew that he was in love with the vessel more than he was any, any, any one woman. And so she had to go off and forge her own career. And, you know, again, you know, we find out later she winds up, uh, depending on what you see or read or whatever, she winds up either as communications officer or first officer aboard the Excelsior with Sulu. Uh, in the, in the, the, the TV episode, in, in the movie Star Trek Six, you see her wearing the uh, little Bluetooth earpiece and she's the one telling Sulu they've got the you know the questions. She wonders what they're going to do, and so she looks like the communications officer. But in I, I don't remember if it was the books or if it was the Voyager episode, uh, they I represented think you her, see her in Star first Trek episode. Six. You actually first see her on the bridge. Yeah, she's on the bridge. Yeah, she, like I said, she's like communications yeah. officer. But you also she has a, a real quick scene in Star Trek Four when they're trying to get the uh, she's like on Starfleet command no, and she's saying, Star Trek Star Trek 3 she sees the enterprise coming into space dock no but Star after, Trek after. 4 there's a there's a and I think it's her there's a uh, let me see it says we need Gracie that power Whitney. restored respect right before the window shatters you know when the storms becoming too great uh, and then are just as they're going back through time then of course they come back and they're I think time. I think you're talking about Major Barrett. Um, Major Barrett? Well, no, no. Okay, no, she's she's in Star Trek Four. You're right. So that's probably her. And in Star Trek Three, she's listed as woman in cafeteria, but in Star Trek right. Four, she's Commander Janice Rand. Yeah. And in Star Trek, she's uh, credited as Excelsior Communications Officer. So that answers that one. It's just in um, in was it I don't know if it was Voyager if it was one of the comic books. Uh, Sulu made the comment about what having her as his first office. Well, there is a Voyager episode where it's established that two, of course mm-hmm. Tim Russ was in Star Trek. He was Six, on the bridge, but he wasn't yeah. a Vulcan. I don't think. Right. No, and he they wasn't. Retconned it that that was Tuvok because of his long lifespan that he was on the Excelsior, and it's got something to do with there's some 
he questioned Captain Sulu about that, and Sulu gave him the whole lecture on loyalty. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, this, I mean, this, this was a, I, I didn't really read this one because I was reading the main story. It, it, and it, it's a nice dedication to uh, the actress. Um, mm -hmm. it, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense that if they were as established in Muck Time as children, they were kind of bonded and they were supposed to get married. And then when she rejects him and has Kirk fight for him, and she goes with Stan. He says, you know, he says he is yours. You know, Stan. You know, if you want her, she's yours. I would think that would break the connection to Spock, and then she'd be more bonded to Stan. But I, 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 but you know, you sit there and you think about it in in these terms right here. I think that was a little bit of Spock's human side, kind of taking its uh, thirty pieces of silver, maybe, and not well, releasing her. Then and, and she says the the Kalafi set you free, Spock, but I had no such release. But he didn't finish the Kalafi because he was gonna finish it, and then they said, "Nope, we feel your human emotions." He uh, killed Kirk. He thought he killed Kirk. That right there. Oh, no. Where you're talking two different things. Oh, I'm th you're right. You're yeah. right. I'm thinking the Kalinar. Uh, yeah. The Kalafi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the Kalafi. Yeah. His his blood. He said when he killed Kirk, his his blood. His blood fever lust. was gone, or whatever. It know. satiated his bloodlust. Yeah. yeah. And Ooh, so, the plateau. Sounds like Stan and Tapring did not have uh, very good marriage. Well, you knew that was going to be the case at the end of that episode. <laughs> I mean, when you... Spock said the whole having and wanting thing, I mean that right, that that said it all right there. Yeah. He set them up for failure. Oh yeah, and well, and, he didn't. He, he, I don't think he did, had anything to do with it. He was commenting on human nature, his experience, and that. Yeah, and you just knew that's how that was going to play out. That Stan was going to regret it down the road. Well, no, I don't think Spock had anything to do. It's with It's like that. saying, well, if you know people that like cheat, like if you know if if. Uh, your wife's going to cheat on her husband and go off with a new guy, then you tell the new guy, well, maybe she's not going to cheat on you and go off with somebody else. Exactly. So that's what Spock is telling him. You know, hey, should me find somebody better, Stan, because, you know. But, yeah, but there, I, I seem to remember reading or hearing something, and I, I'm looking it up on Memory Alpha right now because I, I, I think there was, like, a, a story about how um, – Stan died when uh, they were trying to, to mate. Oh. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> yeah, but it, there's it, a it, there's a crude term for that that we're not going to get into right now. But uh, uh, boy, I'd never heard that one before. Yeah, I didn't either. I, you, they uh, on Stranger Worlds, don't we see Stan? Isn't he working with her on that? Um, Vulcan rehabilitation planet. Hmm. I think he's introduced. He's he's working with her. They're kind of sowing the seeds that maybe that's where they, um, they kind of. Yeah, yeah. He's them. yeah. He he's he's definitely there. He's um, played by Roderick McNeil on Stranger Worlds. Okay. Cool. Well, I think but, we've uh, I think we've covered this pretty good. I'm I'm yeah. sorry that Dave and. Uh, 
John couldn't couldn't uh, join us, but um, I think we've done a pretty thorough job. And it's, uh, again, it's always nice to have Kirk on. Glad to be here. Yeah. And so. we need to. Uh, we are coming up quickly on episode 100, and we've got something special planned for that. Um, uh, an extra long show, I think. But I don't. I don't know what we're going to do for the next episode because we need to do one more before we do our big one. And I'm going to leave it up to the rest of you guys to kind of pick something. I, now, I, are the comics and cocktails episodes considered to be counted in this? Uh, no, they, they don't I join the numerator. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. And, I, and it, we've really done more than 100 episodes because Dave pointed that out. Because there are specials and there are... Point five episodes and yeah, half episodes five. and stuff, but you know, if we're talking, you know, like comics, we're talking numerically, then this is when, our... like, when we did our first coverage of the uh, which was uh, four years ago yesterday, we released uh, the first episode that covered any of Burns' uh, Elswin stuff, and that was the bullet a bulletin, and we did a couple yeah. bulletins which weren't numbered, yeah. numbered either. We've done bulletins, we've done so, we did some Star Trek, we did four Star Trek specials that were not like in canon because we were going to do that for the for the 50th anniversary i don't know that everything is actually out on the website right now but the last i saw the, with our last episode on there there was like 119 total uh episodes let me, let me double right. check yeah 190 it felt i thought it was like 127 is what we had but i think everything is there um but, I've been uh, updating and, some of the links. Some of the links have been... Oh, 122, 122 episodes is what it's got out there. So, yeah. Cool. And my, my apologies to everybody for uh, the, the, the one missed link in the, when we released last episode. Uh, I think I had everything except the, the link that goes out to the podcatchers was still shooting the previous episode. When I, it was my first time trying to, to post it out there. Tim was... Traveling the countryside, going to Vasquez Rocks, uh, and and uh, taking taking the dog around all over for its uh, obligatory selfies across the country. That was really cool. I really enjoyed vicariously following along with you and seeing those uh, movie sites, the the locations. Thanks for sharing that, Tim. That oh, was, was pretty cool. It was. Yeah, uh, we uh, we and we were we just we escaped New uh, Las Vegas because of the fireworks. So mm-hmm. we decided to go to yeah. L.A. and we actually stayed in Long Beach. But uh, but you know it's it's funny you got to you got to go see where Kirk fought the Gorn and where Chekhov got killed. Yep. And and that's kind of a joke. Uh, Anton Yel- Yelchin, who played Chekhov in the new movies, uh, was in another movie called Alpha Dog. And he got gunned down there at the base of Vasquez Rocks. Really, I've not seen that yeah. film. Yeah. It's it's got Justin Timberlake and it. it's actually a very good movie, um, and of course I, I mean the thing is, Anton Yelchin and I, I don't know if I'm getting his name pronounced right, but it, it, he is a very compelling actor. Everything that I'd seen him in, I liked. Uh, I I could have seen him playing Spider Man. He could have played Peter Parker, because um, like Tom Holland, he's a, a little shorter and uh, lithe, a figure. But uh, he's very good actor, and, and I just, we, we really miss him. Um, and he's going to be missed if they do make another Star Trek movie, which it sounds like they're planning on doing it. So yes, 
Yeah, I don't know if they'll recast him or if they will. I hope not. I nice. hope that he's just not there, and you know, I, I you know, they don't even need to say why he's not there. You know, a person can get reassigned or or, or whatever. Yeah, Down to the barber shop, getting his beetle haircut. Uh, and, <laughs> and it was a malfunction, and and you know. yeah. Well, just give him a throwaway line that he's off on the uh, uh, the uh, uh, reliant. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Could be. Yep. Could well, work. is there anything else? No. Well, as okay. always, you can write to us at uh, gotta get burned at gmail.com. And uh, we always appreciate any reviews that you want to post to spread the word. Um, what else needs to be said? Write us, you give us a response on Facebook, you know, in our group on Facebook. We got more members there than we've ever had. I, mean, I guess that's true of any Facebook group. And we're growing every day. We want to hear what you guys think. We want to know what you want to see or want us to cover. We want to know what you don't want us to cover because we'll cover that first. And <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, we and you know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, but uh, just let us know. We need the feedback. Um, you know that way we can give you the best content that uh, that you want. True. Yeah, because if we don't know, we're gonna we may continue to. You know, you may hate our coverage on Elsewhere. Let us know. Maybe you don't want to, you know, but if, uh, and the, the, our offer still stands because we just filled, we kind of just filled this with uh, one of our listeners named Nigel, that if you give us a five-star review, you get to pick a book and we will cover it, whether we've covered it or not before. So if you really want to hear something covered and you think, why aren't they covering that? Give us a review and you can pick your book. Yeah, I'm curious what, what you guys thought of our next men coverage. Um, yeah, but uh, I've got a couple ideas on uh, you know things I'd like for us to cover uh, pretty soon, but uh, we'll uh, figure that out. We'll figure that out. Yeah. Anything else, guys? No, nope. I think we're uh, I think we're ready to sign off. I think we've done a good. Alrighty. Job. Well, say good night, Tim. Good night. Say good night, Kurt. Till next time. And that's Tim. Elliot, that's Kurt Greenfield for Third Degree Burn. I'm Brian Hughes. Everybody, enjoy the rest of your summer. I'm going to go melt now because it's 100 degrees outside. We're going where no man has gone before. Whoosh! My lyrics are better than jeans. He had some guff about a star and love about mine. Me, he says, Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, 
and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Alrighty, anything you guys want to talk about before we record? Yes, has everybody seen uh, Love and Rockets? Or, no, Love and Rockets, uh, Love and Thunder? Uh, I have not. Okay, plug your ears for a moment. <laughs> no, it, it's okay. I've I've heard reviews, so I kind of basically know how the story goes. Just for a so. moment. So, uh, Brian, you've seen it? Yes. Yes. So you got my comment about characters for John? <clears throat> well, I I made a joke about that a couple days ago. I guess I didn't catch that, but it's it makes perfect sense now. Um, I burst out laughing when it happened. I caught it. <laughs> My wife started laughing, and she doesn't even know the connection to John. So, um, <laughs> okay, you know, got it, it got a little bit old, but nonetheless, I had yeah. to smile each time. Um, I was just wondering what, where he got it. Where do you get yeah, one and, of these and, things? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they got the the toy, but yeah, I don't know. But we'll have to ask him. Anyway, okay. Tim, come back. Come back, Tim. Oh, well, it's okay. I wasn't out. I, again, I've heard, um, I've heard reviews and stuff on it, so it's kind of been spoiled for me. Not that I, it's going to keep me from seeing it. I just haven't got around. But do to, you know uh, what we're what we're talking about, though? Uh, I don't know that specific thing you were talking about because the the, the yeah, spoiler okay, I've got should, it kind of in a broad sense. We should probably yeah, I, let it go right there, then. Yeah, You'll yeah. Enjoy I mean, it when what, you get to it. Yeah. Do you plan on going to see it or? I, I need to. I haven't just haven't. It, it's like Doctor Strange. I kept trying to get to see that, and then it showed up on Disney. So when we were in uh, Long Beach over the holiday, mm-hmm. I watched it. I kind of watched at it uh, in like two segments. So I need to sit down and watch it all over again. Doctor Strange, you mean? Doctor Strange, Strange and Madness? Yeah. 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 That's, that's on Disney, so I get to watch that for free. Yeah, Did you guys I watch Ms. Marvel? <clears throat> I did not watch Miss Marvel. That really had no interest in that character. So um, I, I didn't either. I but I watched. What it. is the Miss Marvel? Um, well, I mean, there is a comic book of Miss Marvel, and it's a young girl. Uh, she's a Pakistani girl uh, who gets powers that kind of—they're more like a, a bastardization of Mister Fantastic's powers. But in this, they've changed it so that uh, she's got a uh, Pakistani bangle. It's like a wrist bracelet or a bracer. And it bestows upon her certain powers. And they do have some kind of tie-in to um, Captain Marvel. Well, Though it's, it's not revealed anywhere, anyway, anyhow what that tie is. But I heard that the aren't her bracelets supposed to be the neg- <clears throat> excuse me the nega bands. You know they could be they, that they, Marvel they could and Rick be. Jones had. 
her her family line basically <clears throat> it, it turns out that her grandmother or great grandmother was a, a what they call a jean or de jean. And uh, you know that's that's how they explain all of this. And and there's some discussion of alien races uh, in there on Earth passing as humans, but biding their time for whatever they're sort of planning on doing. Uh, it, still, it, it it was it was a good series. It's worth a watch. Uh, the actress playing Camilla Khan uh, is engaging and uh, believable. Uh, some of the other characters, mm, you know, her, her parents are a caricature of uh, Pakistani culture. And uh, I, mean, I mean, it's kind of like the, the Pakistani version of the Joy Luck Club for half the movie, half the show. <clears throat> so, I mean, you, you just if you understand that culture, you understand how that works. And I, th- I think part of it is, you know, is that it, it's like, you know, back in the 60s when George Harrison you know, did his trek over over there, and he made made that cool for like six months, and then people were just like, "No, nah, no, nah, we don't like the clothes, we don't like the the food, we don't like the mantras or anything," and they just kind of dropped it. And I think that's kind of permeated culture in in the West for a long time. Uh, Mike Myers tried, of course, to uh, bounce it back with his love guru. <laughs> movie but you know nobody again nobody really had that interest and i I think it's you know that that culture just doesn't have a a way of grabbing society and saying you know we're we're pretty cool so i i don't think i want that to play on the episode itself so we won't discuss (laughs) that there but i mean it it, it, it's i I don't want to say it's racist because i i can't say that it is because it's it's more of a, a preference of style and once you get into that 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 culture, it's a style that a lot of people shy away from. Well, it's odd because that seems, from what I've heard, that is the only positive comment I've heard is the portrayal of uh, the because she's mixed, isn't she? In Pakistani and something else, or is it just Pakistani? Uh, well, she's Pakistani and something else, but uh, not. I don't know about the actress. Okay, okay. The the character the character the character is, is because of because she's got that Dijin blood or whatever yeah. it is that her grandmother is. That's what um, they like about it. The rest, you know, I've heard, you know, mixed reviews on how good the uh, the rest of the show is. And a lot of and what's funny is a lot of the comments were how they decided to change her powers. In that, to your point, they were like kind of Mister Fantastic, Plastic Man kind of. She just made her fist big and punch people. Or organic, yeah. yeah. And then they changed, and, and it, she got him from the Terrigen Mist. I think she's kind of an inhuman. I think in the comic. Oh, yeah, not here. <clears throat> um, but yeah, these almost more look like Quasar's bands that he can create kind mm-hmm. of Green Lantern type constructs. Yeah, and that's that's what she does with with this. And and I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a. A, a better twist on on a superpower than what we'd seen in the past. You know, I mean, it was something that, something we hadn't seen before, so that was good. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So I'm I'm actually looking at at two copies hmm. of this. I've got a CBR copy, and I'm looking at my Kindle copy, trying to see if there's any real difference. But no, it looks like it all comes from the same master image. And, yeah, I've got just the. And I and I 
that I said in my comment, I didn't. There's a little short story at the end of this, which deals yeah. with Spock and T'Pring. I didn't. Oh, well, we can talk about it because I read talk it. Talk about guys. it. But I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't cover I that. I didn't do a synopsis. for a moment. Uh, what was that, Kurt? <clears throat> I think he had to drop wait, off wait. for a moment. Oh, okay. Yeah, he muted himself. <clears throat> so uh, we watched. What did we watch the other day? Watched a couple of things, and all of a sudden I'm blanking. Last night, we watched um, a good movie, and I'm I'm just like so. Oh yeah, we watched. Uh, it was uh, Jurassic World Dominion. I actually liked that. I I would say you know I'm um, thinking about all the the, the Jurassic uh, Park World movies. Uh, the original and the first Jurassic World movie are are my favorites, but this is really really close up there to Jurassic World. It really hit on a lot of really uh, a, it hit a lot of but well there was a lot of nostalgia because everybody was in it. You know you had the Ian Malcolm the the the, the two ar- the archaeolo- uh, not archaeologists but you know the uh, Alan Grant Nat, and Ellie Sadler in it. So you had the three originals. And they even did a huge nod back to the first movie with uh, Campbell Scott's character. Yeah. And, uh, and, but uh, the, all the things they brought in and the way that they use, utilize the dinosaurs, a lot of it was incredibly organic. And then B.D. Wong's character, he was the scientist guy from the first movie. But he, mm-hmm. And he has been in all the Jurassic World movies. Um, his, his character arc was actually pretty interesting. Um, some of the more subtler points of it was missed on my son. And when I brought it up, you know, last night, he's like, what? No, you know, but I, I just, I wasn't going to sit there and, and argue that with him. But again, yeah, I, I'd seen some people sitting there saying this movie was a, a retread and no, it's not. And, and, and as far as I can tell, this is kind of like, um, not fast and furious, but it's kind of like a heist movie with dinosaurs. You know, it's kind of all, <clears throat> excuse me, it's kind of all over the place. I saw it last Sunday. And, oh, okay. You sound good. Yeah. <clears throat> and not to, uh, not to, uh, rain in your parade, but I thought it was incredibly stupid. Uh, but I, I, that's I, right. I remember, I remember <laughs> you posted that and I was yeah. like, no, no, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I watched it last <clears throat> night. At, it was after midnight. Um, I was suitably, uh, enjoying, you know, some, some beer. Yeah. Actually, yeah. And and <clears throat> flow with the movie, had a lot of fun with it. You know, I mean, it, I, I, I thought that the things they did with um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, Howard's character were, were interesting. And then the ultimate storyline of the little girl made a lot more sense than what they were doing in the previous movie in Fallen Kingdom. And Fallen Kingdom is my least favorite of all the Jurassic movies. Yeah, but uh, I, I've only watched that once. But yeah, I'll, yeah, that movie is worse than this film. Uh, yeah. The, but the the argument that, and they do a lot of retconning, even though I think it's the same. Colin Trevorrow directed and wrote it. He wrote and he wrote. Yeah, the he, did, he did. I thought he did all three. Well, he may wrong. have written all three. I don't think he directed the second one. Um. But, uh, and I don't want to spoil anything if Kirk hadn't seen it. Uh, 
spoiler warnings for anybody who's listening to this right now. They they talk about how she's a clone. You know, that's the big reveal in the second movie, right? That she's a clone of uh, her dead mother, who was the daughter of John Hammond's <clears throat> unforeseen partner. partner we never saw. Right. And in this one, and which leads to her motivation in that film is letting all the dinosaurs go because they're just like her. Well, in this one, it's revealed that that his daughter was integral to Jurassic Park, except for her age, she could have been she could have been involved in the original cloning of the dinosaurs. Anyway, she was she was very important. To Beatty Wong says she was very smart and she was, you know, very part of the a big important part of the process. Mm-hmm. But she was uh, she had some rare disease or something she was dying so she clones herself and then genetically takes out the defect. well she she cloned herself before she realized that she was dying right right but then she took somehow took out the she cured the little girl so the girl was not going to have the same disease as her mother right 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 she gave herself a vaccine right which (laughs) what leads him to correct further problems in the film She's still a clone. You know, they, they seem to treat it like, oh, you're not a clone. You had a mother. Like, well, even clones have mothers. They're not born in a test tube and grown up in a test tube. They're born from a living being. So even if we thought she was a clone, she was still born from some kind of a surrogate. So I thought that was an odd that they were trying to, you know, make her feel better. Like, well, oh, I... I didn't see it that way. I mean, basically, the mother, you know, initiated the, the birth. I mean, it's like the uh, golly. I mean, they were they were talking about the what was it the um, what was it that they used to uh, help the the T Rex uh, the the that they did the DNA sequencing with was it T Rex? No, no, it was the Velociraptors. But it was a, a type of uh, lizard that... Oh, well, get, uh, get over something. It was some kind of lizard that could yeah. produce asexually. Yeah, produce asexually. And so, I mean, you know, in making it produce asexually, how is that a clone? A clone is exact same genetic... I, I guess with it, with it producing asexually, it's, you know, basically just reproducing its own DNA. But if that's the case, then all the lizards are cloning themselves. Yeah, I would. I would. Okay, well, I don't. I didn't see it that way. That yeah, you're right. Yeah. I thought that was just an explanation as to why Blue could have a kid without the necessary being another raptor around. The the whole point of it was try to make the little girl understand that she's not a clone and not a science experiment and not just there because someone did use a test tube. That she was, you know, created from from you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, born a woman and, and therefore, you know, she is her own person. She's not somebody else, somebody else's life. Well, even if she was, again, I I still don't see that argument because either whether, even if she was a straight up clone, she's still, you know, that's the argument they always show in films is like, well, I'm not a real person. Like, well, no, you are. You may look exactly like the person you came from, but you're not raised the same. So you're not going to be that, you know, you're not going to copy their memories and their experiences. And yeah, you have different. a separate consciousness. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. gonna be... are, are, are you, you've got siblings, though, right? Me? Yeah, I got two yeah. brothers. Two brothers. Are you oldest, youngest, middle, whatever? I'm middle. Middle. 
And and see this this is the thing. My 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 brother Matt, you know, he was middle brother, and you know Scott was the oldest, so he was Scott. You know, he was the the leader. He was the responsible one. He was you know everything, and I was the youngest, so therefore I was the the one that was coddled and all that. And you know, he's the middle brother, and you know he he you know he looked at it along the stereotypical. Uh, you know, ways. And whenever, you know, he would sit there and say that to other people, they're like, they'd shake their head. Yeah, you're right. You're, you know, fight, fight the power, brother. You know, it, it was always people following those stereotypes. And same thing with, you know, somebody who's been cloned, regardless of the life experiences being so different, they're always going to have that stigma following them that they're just somebody, you know, somebody else's skin. And it makes them feel soulless. Yeah. And that was, that was her, that was what she felt because she thought she was a clone. Right. Uh, Kirk, have you but seen really- Jurassic Park? Because we're spoiling stuff. Yeah, I've seen it. I'm, I'm okay. very acquainted with it. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly. So when, yeah, and I can't take that away from you. If you enjoyed it, the more power to you. It's great. Um, I enjoyed it. I recognized the, the, some of the beats. Uh, the characters well, and the, the, were, were the so thing familiar. Is, uh, I know the thing that almost stretched it too far it was making Campbell Scott Dodson because Dodson didn't seem to me to be the head scientist leader of everything. He seemed to be just the stooge that was, you know, paying off Nedry in the first book, you know? And he was, I, and he, what's funny is he's the kind of the villain or at least the protagonist of Crichton's second book, Lost World. He's, of course, cut out of the mm-hmm. film, but he's... Uh, and he, I think, he is more of a uh, a corporate guy, but I think in the book he is a some type of scientist because he goes to the island. They go to Site B along with uh, Malcolm again. It's similar to the Spielberg sequel. Yeah, um, yeah. But he, uh, but he wasn't... But I, I'm assuming that in this, you know, over 30 years he is... Um, he has uh, raised, rised up through the ranks, and um, you know, top he was, dog, and became uh, oh, who's the guy from Apple? He looks exactly Tim. I want to say Tim Sales. That's not right. Uh, what's the who, who talking about? The the guy that took over for Steve Jobs at Apple. He looks just like him. Huh. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I, I looked at, at the character and I, in, in the movie, and I saw uh, Campbell Scott, who was, uh, you know, Peter Parker's father in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, and uh, he was in Cameron Crowe's Singles. Yeah. Those are really the only movies that I remember with him. Yeah, in. I know the name. Some... Yeah, but yeah, good I actor. He was. He was. Yeah, I thought he was a little. Yeah, he was a little naive for a guy that was running a. a um, a big conglomerate that seemed to be on the verge of, you know, wanting to, to take over the world. But it, yeah, the the biggest problem I think it had with it was they they and they kind of they kind of brush over it in the very beginning with that kind of news montage about cause it's like four or five years later and the dinosaurs are spread out everywhere and unless they all must be producing asexually because. Now they act like there are just dinosaurs everywhere. And say, say they be conservative. Say they took a hundred dinosaurs off the island before the volcano erupted. Okay, mm. 
those hundred dinosaurs and how many of those actually made it out of the, the, the compound. And then they spread out all over the place. Um, well, uh, you kind of got the feeling that, um, what was the name of, of his company? Um, Biogen. Biogen. Yeah. That they were seeding them all over the place. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what, the uh, what, and I think there was a line that they said they were that maybe some dinosaurs survived the eruption mm-hmm. and they went and got those and he were taking them all to his uh, yeah his if new you Jurassic remember Park. you remember the locust thing where the locusts were going only after certain crops they were yeah. actually genetically designed not to touch the biogen crops so that totally told me that they were planting the their biogen clones of dinosaurs wherever they felt the need to to suit their purposes that's how they were getting right. overseas yeah but what were their purposes because even even dotson seem when he finds out that the locusts the, the, are going kind of going rampant he seems shocked if that was not his goal to wipe out all the crops and force everybody to use biogen seeds yeah and that was the whole idea is to get con- control of the world's food supply yeah. But when he finds out that the locusts are have gotten out and are multiplying and are kind of ravaging these farms, he seems shocked. But it's like, well, isn't that your goal to force people to buy your seed? Mm. I don't know. It just, it just seemed like that's a good a point. It's a good point. But we should. Of, um, no, that's a good torches, point. When he torches the uh, the uh, locusts, they sure did live a long time catch on fire. <laughs> Yeah, well, when they uh, when he torches them and then they they go up the smokestack and uh, into the valley, did he not recognize that that was going to happen? Did he not realize that that you know I just if that was their emergency contingency plan to wipe them out, I can't believe that they did not recognize that they were going to be exhausted and that they were going to set the valley on fire. Yet. He seems a bit surprised by that. Just, he seems surprised seem be... by a lot of stuff, even though he seems yeah. to be the architect of all of this. So, Right. I would, hmm. uh, a line or two in there about, find the guy who designed this. What the hell's going on? Why isn't this performing as I expected? That would have gone a long way to, to, to settle that. But anyway, yeah. let's, let's move on. 